This episode of the Asians Represent podcast is brought to you by our amazing Patreon supporters and subscribers on Twitch. Uh, thanks to their support, we're able to take all of this extra audio from the past season of the Asians Represent podcasts, so that's episodes 35 to 45, and return them to our public podcast feed. Moving forward in 2022, thanks to their support, we'll be able to do monthly drops of Asians Represent episodes onto this feed. We're super excited. Now, if you are a patron of the podcast, don't worry. Our extended feed will continue, and our behind-the-scenes look at Dungeons & Asians, no dice, no problem, will still be a Patreon exclusive. That said, we are so excited for everyone to be able to access this episode in audio format. Uh, it's been quite a journey and quite a transformation of Asians Represent. We are constantly evolving, and we are so glad that our community is growing and here for this journey with us. That said, let's get to the episode. Uh, look, I, I think that one of the things we don't do enough of on Asians Represent is have voices from, you know, all over Asia. Um, you know, we had our Al-Qadim show, uh, which is unfortunately on hiatus um, for, for health reasons. But I think it's really important that you know, when you when you think I've been thinking a lot about you know, what it means to be Asian. And when we talk about like Asian-Americans or or in Europe or people who are are in Asia, it's a really complicated term. And when people are talking about Asian movies, we tend to erase a lot of diversity within the Asian community when we make generalizations. And, you know, when we were looking at all of our content, we were like, you know, we have like a diverse array of perspectives, but it can be better. And, you know, I, I got some comments and a lot of people were looking at it. And was like, oh, everybody here is East Asian. And in my head, I was like, you know what? I mean, that's wrong because one of our hosts is Southeast Asian. And we have people on all the time from different parts of the world. But that doesn't mean that we should turn down criticism. That just means that we can do better. Um, so I am super excited for this episode because we've got, you know, two returning faces to Asians represent and one face and perspective who we've been meaning to collaborate with for honestly a really long time. And I'm going to say that's on me. That's on me. Um, no, 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 that's on me. Um, you know, like we in tightening up how we do all of our production, we're able to do more now and be more efficient. And that means we can have more, more, more people on the show. Um, so I'm really hyped. So it's been a while since we, we've had two out of three of you on the show. And it's been too long since we have, we've had one of you join us on the show. So for our audiences, I'm going to do an introduction on all of you. I did some research on all, all of your work. Um, I'm also fans of all of you. So that wasn't difficult or an arduous task to do because that means like, I'm like, oh, I know some really dope people. Like they're really cool. Like I think everybody on Asians Represent is cooler than me. And I, and I think that's how you should live your life because you should always surround yourself with people who you believe add something to the world and your life. If if people aren't doing that, like what, what do you do? What are you doing, right? So let's start with. And I wrote this in my notes. The best Twitter handle on the internet, <laughs> Isa. 
evil Hi. clever dog. The best story about a Twitter handle ever. For those of you who don't know, is a Twitter handle is based on a knockoff Transformers toy, uh, yeah. which I would have never expected until you actually told told us that story. Um, is a evil clever dog. Transformers enthusiast is what I wrote here. Designer, master level cosplayer, streamer, and I wrote specifically a crafter of nuanced Twitter threads. Oh, and we're actually going to go back to this whole this whole Twitter thread thing because I, I want to talk about that a, a little bit more um, okay. because that's what kind of started this episode that, that planted the seed in this head. Um, but before we do that, we have two other people. The, the next one, Safia, I am I'm so happy that that we got to meet and that Ahmed introduced introduced me to you because I think like your perspective is something that has been really missing in the TTRPG space in general. I don't even say this for Asians oh. represent. I think I love how vocal you are and I love how dedicated you are to your community. So much so that you're the founder of the Crossroads Guild, a community of tabletop RPG enthusiasts based in Eastern Province, Saudi Arabia. You know, you've just started DMing. You did, you and I were talking about doing your first ever your first ever streamed actual play was with Iza and Satine Phoenix and a whole bunch of other amazing people. I did not know that that was your first ever one. Ever. That is incredible. <laughs> that is incredible. And she um, was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Iza no. helped a lot with my nerves. Thank you so much. <laughs> we had a little meet up beforehand to be like, yeah. how should we play our characters off okay. each other? <laughs> right? And... Speaking of the best, shut up. Might I say <laughs> the best? I'll say it. The best photographer in the TTRPG space. No, I, I looked at your socials. I, I saw. I've seen your work. I think you're great. I'll say it. Best photographer in the TTRPG space. Streamer, voice actor, and recent contributor to the latest issue of Warlock. Get issue twenty eight. It's on the Raven Folk by Cobalt Press. KP, welcome to Asians Represent. Um, <laughs> you're too good um, um i will say okay i will take <clears throat> good photographer and a known photographer in the ttrpg space i cannot take best photographer i'm okay. sorry I what if we it. what if we what if we make an amendment then you are one of the elite photographers uh, <laughs> in the ttrpg space how about uh, that i will uh, it's it's your show so i will let you like <laughs> I for for me I I really I think it's important to really uplift your friends and tell them that they're awesome. So that's what I'm going to do and that's what I'll do with every episode of Agents Represent. So I had mentioned earlier that, you know, is a the 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 evilest and cleverest dog <laughs> is a crafter of nuanced Twitter threads. Now Back in May of this year, specifically May 25th, at apparently 5.30 a.m., which would be my time. Uh, yeah, not, not my time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes, yeah, but not this right now. Those early morning, those early morning thoughts, man. That, that yeah. early morning, uh, in, in this case, particularly this early morning rage at the gaming industry. <laughs> and you put out a thread about character design by white westerners or i would say tropes in character design that's centered around this sort of orientalist idea 
of the exotic belly dancer. Yes. <laughs> you posted three examples. Um, you posted uh, Breath of the Wild, Octopath Traveler, uh, Fire Emblem, and Final Fantasy. I forget which one because I'm not really into Final Fantasy. I'm I think it was from Final Fantasy 14, which I actually haven't played. Is that the, is um, that the, is that the, the MMO? The MMO, yeah. Okay. I tried it. I, I couldn't get into it. Um, but you posted this thread talking about how – you said two really important things. The one thing that I got was how there are certain visual indicators of an exotic East or an exotic West Asia that are always included in a game. And yeah. I actually recently started playing Octopath Traveler on my phone. Um because you could do it through like Xbox Game Cla- uh, Game Pass through like the cloud, okay. and I've been like playing it, and I was <laughs> like, there are a couple things that I dislike about the game. One is you know the idea of this support character who's, who's like a belly dancer, mm. and and that it's her that is a, the mark of her being exotic. Yeah, um, and the way the sort of setting is structured around that as well which we can talk about and her entire story her her entire story arc as well Mm. um and it got me thinking but you also mentioned one thing you're like yeah you know these games are designed by asian people too yeah but that doesn't mean that these tropes specifically this belly dancer one that you kind of focused on that these tropes still can't be harmful because asian people and, and everyone is still capable of perpetuating harmful stereotypes. Yeah. Right. And so that's what I wanted to talk about today with you folks. Uh, I wanted to talk about this idea of how visual elements are very much a means of perpetuating Orientalist stereotypes and not just words. Um, and before we dive into that, we should probably go over what Orientalism is in general. Um, So in 1978, Edward Said published this book, Orientalism, and he established the, you know, the eponymous term as a concept used to describe the West's or Western media's common portrayal of the East. Now, there's nuance to it. And by West, we we could all we also include Europe. Right. And we include North America. Um, and you know, since, you know, the, the late 1970s, the definition has certainly changed, right. And it's kind of evolved into very, what is very much loosely a critique on ways of knowing while comparing the East to the West. Um, and it's a concept now where power is central to the conversation because it relies on giving Western audiences and Western consumers of media the ability to interact with the exotic East or the exotic Asia from a position of power. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I wanted to talk about today. Now, we have a couple of topics on the docket. And I I wonder, Isa, since your your Twitter thread was kind of like the nexus (laughs) for all of this, Mm. where did you want to start? Um, Since you already brought it up, I think it's quite important to start with that idea of the belly dancer, the visual design of the belly dancer attire and where it comes from. Um, Because you said that, you know, 
visual design can also be a part of Orientalism. Um, But actually, I think it's a huge component of perpetuating Orientalism. Um, Orientalist art paintings, for example, done by European painters who visited like the Middle East and Cairo in particular in that time, um, were the one singular lens through which Europeans perceived a lot of uh, that part of the world. And those paintings were done using European painting techniques and tropes, which coloured the way in which those painters then presented that part of the world and basically presented them for a European audience, not to accurately portray those people and their culture and their architecture and clothing and so on. Um, and the what I would refer to as the the belly dancer um, sort of in my mind is emblematic of that concept of like visual orientalism. Um, many of the like visual design tropes that we associate with evoking, I guess what we call like Swana cultures are steeped in orientalism and were based on those orientalist paintings of that region, which were produced for the white audience. Um, and the problem with this means that when uh, the problem with this is that when uh, non-Swana people attempt to depict that part of the world or people and their clothing from that part of the world, they're not usually drawing on actual visual research of clothing from that region, but on the white white people's Orientalist interpretations of it and recyclimat- uh, recycling those problematic designs over and over again. And the touchstone for that, for those tropes, is the turn of the century belly dancer attire, um, called the bedler. Um, and that is for those that don't know the sort of fitted bralette and hip belt with a skirt or harem pants with like dangling beads or coins or tassels. And it's very sexualized. It's depicted in tons of different media from like James Bond movies to JRPGs. Um, and it has become basically like the singular reference point for depicting women uh, from that part of the world uh, and specifically in sexualizing them as well. Um, and this is important because the Bedler, as we know, it isn't actually from the Swana region. It actually owes its creation pretty much <laughs> specifically to the 19th century Orientalist painters and then European stage productions um, like opera, vaudeville, burlesque, as well as early 20th century Hollywood films, rather than to authentic Middle Eastern dress in most ways um and so this attire was created in the west as a fantasy costume that was a visual shorthand for the exotic woman um in particular in stage productions it was often used to depict operatic characters like salome and scheherazade on european stages and then because of the popularity of that it was it ended up being imported back to the middle east and north africa especially to egypt where dancers in those countries adopted the attire to appeal to Western tourists who now expected it. Um, And it was quite common at the time in particular for men from the UK and France and other parts of Europe to travel to Cairo. It was sort of a big cultural thing at the time. Um, And then it became the uniform of the belly dancer. And prior to this, these dancers wore far less (laughs) revealing costume during performances. Um, I actually managed to find some visual examples if you want to show those at any point. Yeah. Um, so w- which one, which ones, do, w- which so one did you want to start with? The, 
uh, I just sort of labeled them as like pre-Bedler dancers. There's uh, two okay. images. Yep. Um, so you can see, actually there's three, sorry. Um, so you can Which see. Uh, do you want to do one, two or three? Um, I think any of them, but the I think one is is fine. Um, Perfect. Sort of cycle through them. Um, yeah. So yeah, you can see where the, what we know as the belly dancer attire came from through that, but you can see how different it is and how far less sexualized it is um and and if you want to show sort of there's also sort of images of yeah modern belly dancer attire in there as well for a comparison um and then i'm assuming the audience can see through that that how this fed into designs like princess jasmine in disney's aladdin which that design princess jasmine based on the belly dancer attire has become the basis for a lot of similar looking character designs. We see versions of this character design again and again in Al-Kadim, for example, uh, but it's not limited to designs by white creators because JRPGs also perpetuate this trope a lot with the dancer character, like we mentioned Primrose from Octopath and Olivia from Fire Emblem, many Final Fantasy games. Um, So we see this singular design that isn't even originally from the Middle East or North Africa being used again and again as the singular basis for characters to for depicting those characters um yeah and it's, it's, it's rather lazy and orientalism yes <laughs> yeah it's rather lazy and you're basically just kind of um repeating the same tropes that i would associate to say the uh bra armor or swimsuit armor it's it's very similar to that and you know Although um, belly dancing is a big part of um, a lot of cultures, especially uh, part of the Arab world, I mean, many of us um, here have seen belly dancers. You always have a friend that in a party can just take a scarf, tie it up, and immediately belly dance just on the spot. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's that the, the clothing of, of the belly dancer, to Iza's point, is a representation of uh, any of, of the culture at all. Um, and, you know, just having a character that is designed to be other and then immediately sexualized is just very problematic in its own uh, form. And, you know, you, you, can, um, you, you can, you know, represent belly dancers. That's, that's perfectly fine. But what are they? Are they kind of that background part that just shows the setting? because you're in a situation that might show that? Or is this how you're portraying an entire culture through a character that is joining a a game or being part to represent another world that you're not showing? That's especially when it's most problematic. You're not showing that part of the world, this character's introduction to it, and they're immediately just sexualized and dressing in a situation where I think you'd have clothes on if you're fighting people, but then they're dressing in the belly dancing yeah. clothing. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the I, concept of like basically because it just makes itself oh, it, like especially in games where everybody's now just dressed that way. It's not just a special occasion. It's not just a specific yeah. scenario or situation. It's now hey, this is the clothing of everybody, and you're like, yes, no, and no. like, um, and it, it kind of also goes back to how like we just they just paint 
an entire region in one with one paintbrush because even like just looking up because I was trying to look up Indian dance attire, right? Just in traditional Indian. All I typed in was Indian dance and like 90% of the images were belly dancers or like the mm -hmm. belly dancer attire and not at all any of the traditional like saris and like traditional dance uh, attire that normally is worn. And and traditional just, like, Indian dance attire is so cool. Yeah, but <laughs> like, I put like... Yeah, beautiful. It's beautiful. If, yeah. So if the audience were to look up a word... Um, to find traditional Indian dance attire, where would they start? Oh, boy. Because um, then you have to really, because the, the thing is, there's, uh, according to the, uh, the the institution the, that gives these certifications, I forget the name of it, in India, uh, I think, according to them, they have identified 12 traditional styles of of Indian dancing, depending on the region. So based off of the style of dancing you're doing, your attire changes. Um, they're all saris, but the way you dress, the way you you put it on, and then even within that, depending on what, because because um, Indian Indian dancing or Indian traditional dancing is a form of storytelling. When you're on stage, you are performing an actual story through dance. It's kind of like I guess you could call it interpretive dance. I guess so you have musicians, uh, instrumentalists, you have vocalists. There, the vocalist is actually vocalizing the story through song and then the dancer is visually representing it and so based off of that depending on the character or the scenario the attire will change so within a single performance for a single art uh, single dance style you have multiple outfits depending on what you want to do so you know it, it can't it's really tough to just kind of distill it down to a single word the best thing i can possibly say is look up you know a single dance I've, i'm already down i'm already down a rabbit hole like <laughs> that, that's my face is just like <laughs> so like one thing i could suggest is you know look up what the art style or the dance style is so like one of the prominent ones uh, most people know is Bharatanatyam or kuchpuri Right, so you look up that that dance, and then immediately you will start more specifically seeing what the traditional uh, attire for that would be. Um, Katak is another one. Oh man, like I'm looking at, I'm I'm looking at. I, I don't. I think that's the right one. Is is Katak Kali? Katak Kali is that the one where you? See I, the I'm like my mind is blown yes. by so, the like. Never seen anything thing, like this. Yeah, and then the thing, and so, oh, there's this. Oh man, I can. I'm hoping I can. It's not translated. I'll have to find the clip. But there was a movie called Sagar Sangam that came out in the 80s. Um, and the movie entire, the entire premise of the movie is this character, main actor, who is just enamored with traditional dance styles. And he wants to learn every single dance style because in his mind, he wants to create that one Indian dance. Like, because Sagar Sangam means all rivers go into the sea. So the way it's supposed to represent is that these individual rivers are the different dance styles and they're all going into one ocean, which is supposed to be the quintessential style of Indian style, right? And then there's this one clip where an arrogant dancer thinks she knows what she's doing and like she like she's a young dancer um, and he's like, he kind of at this point is kind of washed up. He kind of quit and he became an alcoholic but there's this one scene where he's like you're just an alcoholic what do you know and he does the same portion of the song but in different art styles and you can tell visually each one is so distinct and different he even changes up his posture and then so it, it's 
it's it's really hard to distill it down to any one thing like that and that's what yeah. you're talking and about that's like, kind of the point yeah that's <laughs> the point. Yeah. yeah yeah it's you like know? what's a starting point you said okay just you look up costume you you said like major styles of classical dance that's what i found and i was like yeah. oh my god there's so much variety yeah so like when you just think oh you know uh middle eastern or or you know Indian, and then you just paint it as this one belly on dancer style, which you know, not even is not even the actual style, and it's just a sexualized Western version of it. Mm. Then you just start going, okay. And then the worst part, and, and I, I love the fact that you guys touched on this, is that it gets fed back into the original culture, and then for yeah. the sake of bringing in tourists and bringing in money, now they have to adopt that. Mm. And then when you try to combat it. Now they're like, well, no, I, I saw them wear that. What are you talking about? No, yeah. that's what they were wearing in the country that I went to. So why are you saying yeah. this now? Yeah. And it just becomes this level of denialism and, and just gaslighting. Yeah. You know? And yeah, and then when many many games and films want to depict that part of the world, that is the first piece of imagery that gets put forward. Mm-hmm. It's either yeah. that yeah. or it's, you know, a woman covered head to toe. Those are the two extremes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um and but most, more often than not, it will be the belly dancer because that part of the world is usually depicted for the uh, pleasure and titillation of white male viewers, yeah. presumed white yeah. male viewers. Um, so in films, for example, um, I know we've talked about games a lot. But, well, let's talk about but films. In, let's do in, it. In film, the the idea of the kind of the belly dancer entering the scene, um, which we see a lot in, like I said earlier, like James Bond films, for example. Um, yeah. It's usually for the purpose of signaling to the audience how strange and exotic this place the characters have found themselves in is. Um, and they do that by introducing the belly dancer, who's usually played by a white actress, um, <laughs> to immediately signal like, hey, well, the, the women here are subjugated because this is a strange and exotic land, but you still get to watch the dance. Yeah, And she'll dance yeah. around with her veil yeah. and the audience yes. gets to be titillated and judge yeah. that part of the world, but it's made entirely for the white Western audience. And that attire was literally designed for a white Western audience and not from that yeah. part of the world. Yeah. Um, I did upload a photo of uh, at belly dancers as part of a uh, ensemble performance for mm-hmm. a uh, cinema festival that, that was in Egypt. I, I just um, pulled it up. Yeah. So that is actually what they would wear if they're performing in an actual like um, setting on a stage. This was part of a, a big film festival in Egypt. Um, and it's very different. This is, okay. yeah, this is very recent um, and it's very different than um, what is actually depicted. <laughs> and funny That's enough, you really mentioned, cool movies and the movie industry because in bollywood um if you go back in time for like in the like 60s 70s maybe even further back um so like because a lot of indian uh in culture has been especially north indian culture has been influenced by mughal empire and, and from middle eastern influences because we've been you know conquered multiple times from that area and so a lot of north indian styles of North Indian dances, culture is based off a little bit off of that mixture between Middle Eastern and and Indian. And there's a movie and a lot of these movies that try to portray traditional like, you know, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Periodic pieces 
Um, for example, there's one called Mughal Azim, which is basically our Romeo Juliet uh, story. It was a um, it was a milestone. It's like a water break sort of a film that came out this huge epic where a lot of current Indian films take influence from. And in that movie, there's basically it is a, the story is of a King or a Prince falling in love with a dancer and this forbidden love between them. Right. But in that movie, they are not depicted as, you know, sexualized being. And it actually looks like what a lot of the traditional properly traditional style should look like. And, but then you already then start seeing in the more modern film industry, Anytime a belly dancer is trying to be depicted, now you see a lot more of this westernized style, the sexualized style, because it, you know, fed back into it. And a lot of Bollywood is about catering to a, no, not just the Indian audience, but it's Western influenced. Uh, It's why, you know, if you feel, because Bollywood is just a single region of Indian film industry. You have Mm -hmm. every region in India has its own film industry and Bollywood is just the most Western facing one. Um, so you see a lot of that Western influence there. And one of this is this, this change up that it's a market change up. And I'm I'm glad you guys brought this up because I even, I didn't have that connection until now. I was like, Oh, that makes sense. And Mm. now I see it. And it's so weird to see that where now it has transitioned that way. Um, uh, let me see if I can find uh, the image of the original, uh, Mughal Azim movie. I got the um I got the 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 poster. Mm-hmm. Um and I'll um I'll post it here so our um so the the folks watching can can kind of see this. It's um not what I was expecting. Beautiful uh, film. Very well yeah, shot. Yeah, so it's originally black, and, black, and, black white. and white. Yeah. yeah. Originally black and white, but they I think they colorized it, but you can see that like she she's supposed to be a dancer and a singer and performer um of that influence from that part of the world, but, you know, very, very modest, very covered up, but at the same time, you know, exuding that feminine beauty. But then you now see how it is now. And you're just like, dear Lord. There's that, that this like stark contrast yes. between that character and, you know, the, what you saw, like, is a, you, you put in the, that folder that we're all looking at that uh, from Russia with love mm-hmm. uh, picture that you posted from James Bond. It, it's interesting because, you know, I've been thinking about this in the context of video games mm-hmm. and the, for the most part, especially in like JRPGs, the, the characters who kind of have this sort of attire, like I want to talk specifically about Olivia from Fire Emblem are always that support character. Yeah. They're there to uplift the other characters who in gen- in general have that more Western European look. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, uh, and I know people are going to be like, well, but a- Asians made that. I mean, like I said earlier, like Asians can still be guilty of this, especially because Asian is such a broad term. Mm-hmm. And right? because and- the concept was literally fed back into Asia by mm-hmm. Europeans. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like, I looked at this and I'm like, yeah, you know, not only is this, I think you really, you put it really well when you were saying this is a visual shorthand mm-hmm. for not only like exotic women, but in JRPGs, in, you know, in general, like, women. subservient women. Yeah. Exactly. And that's seen very strongly with Primrose and her storyline as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that, like, I, 
I love Octopath Traveler for the gameplay and the music, but boy, do I not enjoy the story. The, in any the story respect. is just <laughs> is not good. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, um, Primrose's story specifically is really I found really jarring when I first started playing it, especially because someone else, someone who I know who recommended the game to me had said, "I know you're not going to like Primrose's design, but her story is the most interesting." And uh, Primrose's story is very problematic. Um, yeah. It starts with her design, and you know up front, seeing that belly dancer attire, I was like, "Oof, okay, I'll give it a shot." But it's exactly it's, what you think it is. Yeah, she is yeah. a subservient light-skinned i won't say white because it is made in japan so presumably all the characters are supposed to be asian but it does have a very european medieval feel to it most of the most of the characters designs um but that is something that jrpgs draw on a lot uh but primrose specifically is a light-skinned woman in belly dancer attire who is quite literally subjugated to brown men in the place that she comes from it is the one place in the game where there are dark-skinned people um Mm -hmm. and it is a desert city that is shown to be somewhere where men are cruel to women and is very obviously meant to be somewhere in like West Asia or North Africa, um, where she and other female dancers are oppressed, forced to dance for the pleasure of men. And there's implied sexual assault potentially. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll admit um, when I played that storyline, I stopped playing Octopath. And that's it's, fair. It's, <laughs> I just put the game down. <laughs> I, I think with Octopath, it was this really strange blend of of cultures. Like with with Primroses, it was like, oh, I like you immediately, and and it's sad that you immediately know what it's going to be. Hmm. Like you want it to be something more, yeah. But it is exactly what you without any spoilers. Because so I think Octopath, again, great, very different gameplay for a JRPG. Great mm-hmm. soundtrack, interesting like like literal visual design but the character design is like mm. it's odd because primrose is like yeah she's this subservient exotic woman you find her in this desert town where everything is like the 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 sort of like stone cut huts like you would like you you see in the films it's supposed yeah. to be like oh it's casablanca um and then your main character is like a european coded character who comes in and helps save this person yeah. i mean depending also... on who you pick as your first character because you can potentially start as because yeah. you can start as any of the eight characters um mm. so you can potentially start as primrose but if you don't then yes it is very yeah. much that and that, that was my experience because i started with the um the the warrior character the knight mm. um who loses his knighthood or whatever um, so you, you literally another- could not have picked the more white savory character. <laughs> could not have picked the more white savory one. And I was like, I don't yeah. know what this was like. Warrior. I was like, cool. Let's pick this one. I was like, oh, okay, okay. It's going to be this kind of game, right? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'll wait yeah. until I get a cool archer. And then the archer character, like the hunter. Yeah, she's the one I started they- with. <laughs> she uses this like Shakespearean English, yeah, which I so- also found to be super jarring. Yeah, because so that's I started another- as her, which meant when I started playing it, I was like, oh God, is everyone in this game going to talk like this? This is really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that I found that interesting because I was like, oh, yeah. this is the other way in which they're going to make this character different and an outsider. Mm. And the, they speak Shakespearean English. And then yeah. this one is. Which is weird because she's like from the woods. 
Yeah. Like, in that region. You'd think, that, you'd think the knight would be the one who'd speak in like the faux Shakespearean yeah. dialect or whatever. Yeah. But no, it's it's the woman who's like the feral forest woman <laughs> who speaks in that dialect. It's very strange. It's, um, it's, yeah. it's, it's a strange I feel like it design might have been choice. like their attempt at saying, oh, this person was not raised in this sort of an environment. Exactly. So this was the form of English that they picked up or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, mm-hmm. High English. Yeah. Yeah. Of, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's so weird because, like, um, I, I don't understand why we do this to ourselves because, you know, it's like it's like if an Indian gaming company or movie industry made a film based in, like, China or in, like, you know, in Japan and then depicted all the women wearing really sexy, like, uh, kipao, uh, not, not chipao. Uh, like, chipao is... Chipao, is the, yes, is there the is. Kipau, I just wanted yeah. to make sure I was saying. But, yeah, just, like, that's not... That isn't... A, first off, I... I, maybe there is one or two, I, and I cannot presume, but I'm sure that there might be an instance, a very sexy version with that high, like mm-hmm. really high slit cut. Uh, uh, look out for a future episode of Asians Represent on this. There, there's, there's, I would, I will say there is the Chipao is a very complicated yeah. topic to discuss because mm-hmm. in many ways they are form fitting and, and mm-hmm. they, some of them are short. Yeah. Um, and, I it's do. an interesting conversation to have because it, because people still wear them and very proudly wear them yeah. um, in China. Um, I think the, the conversation about traditional Chinese clothing is more of a mm. political one, honestly. Mm. Um, there is a big... Like, TTRPGs aren't really huge in, in China, but LARP is huge. Mm. Um, because there is this movement, and is I don't know if you, you've seen a lot of this, there's this movement called the Hanfu Revival. And it's the revival of traditional historical looking Chinese clothing. And people will just wear these in public. Like I'm going to the store oh. and they're just going to wear Like yeah. I have an out, I have a, a whole set myself. That's right? pretty cool. That's awesome. It, it's really cool, but there are problems with it. And a lot of people mm-hmm. in, in China have pointed it out that the Hanfu revival is very nationalistic and basically is another way of kind of, showing Han superiority and Han Chinese superiority when there are all these other minority groups in Asia. Um, So costuming and wearing traditional clothing and cultural signifiers of traditional culture, it's just, it's such a complicated topic. Mm. Um, And I think what I was trying to get at is like someone outside of that coming in and then you don't see any of that. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. like just presuming that one thing is the thing that everybody wears, that mm-hmm. everybody is okay with, and then just like picking that one thing to represent an entire group of people is, yeah. I think, like that's what. And then I, you know, just having like or, or you know, uh, how can I better put this? I think that's the closest I can come to. Just like assuming, like or like you know, every Indian wears a turban. That, that mm. trope that every yeah. like every Indian wears a turban and has a big ass handlebar mustache and you know hey that's your visual representation of an Indian man yeah yeah uh, yeah it's a visual stereotype right yeah, yeah. No, it's, and it's, it's a, a shame because yes. like when we when we do this what what ends up happening is that the breadth of traditional clothing and modern clothing that exists in those regions is brushed to the side for the mm-hmm. sake of boring tropes that have been used over and over again if i may say yeah. that um yeah. it like safia said earlier it's 
it's lazy. Uh, it's very often used to other as well as sexualize uh, people from that region. Um, and in terms of like, like for costume and character designers, I, I really want to see more costume and character designers taking influence from different aspects of clothing from those regions instead of just the same couple things like the the princess jasmine belly dancer or the like stereotyped turban like over and over and over again um yeah, yeah. I mean, these cultures are that, so like, rich yeah exactly yeah. And even within those you know categories there's subcategories and mm-hmm. like i was trying to show I, I put in like just the concept of sari right um changes based on the occasion it's just like any form of clothing um there's very casual everyday saris that you literally wear every single day if you wanted to wear something traditional versus something a lot more fancy if you were to wear it for a wedding or an event Mm -hmm. and even within that depending on what region you're from the way Mm -hmm. you wear the sari the style you wear what type um if you're the bride even like during the wedding ceremony my wife wore three different saris based on the on the Mm -hmm. occasion and that is just being a, and like, yeah, it's just so complex because it talks about where you're from, what yeah. occasion you're going, you're attending, um, even what, to an extent, what cast you're from, which is a little bit saddening, but it is what it is. It's, it, it, yeah. There is still that additional yeah. nuance, you know? You, you yeah, want good. varied representation. So like I, I just yes. pulled up on screen a picture of a screenshot from Raji, the, the video game. <laughs> And so right, much. a fantastic game. I think like more people need need to play it. But what I think is interesting about about that game is that that is not the kind of clothing that you would expect to see in a video yeah. game. Nor nor are those like the kinds of themes that you would see yes. uh, in, in like a video game. Like the last time I saw, um, you know, like South Asian coded characters is there's a video game called Smite. And they have like, and it's just like they're overly sexualized, and they do that with all all of the even the Chinese ones as well. Um, and it's it's so odd seeing that because you look and you see, oh, they have oh, there's Kali, oh, and then there's there's Nuwa, who's literally like, how do I describe Nuwa to people who don't know about Chinese mythology? Nuwa is kind of like. Nuwa is the reason why humanity exists. It's like the mother goddess kind of. Kind of like the mother goddess. Nuwa is like part snake, part woman. Literally like created humanity. There's this big world creating sort of myth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Nuwa is literally depicted as like a, she's she's like a woman. And then she's got like silk that just like covers her boobs and then shows her strategically covering up parts. And it's just like, it feels yeah. so disrespectful. Yeah, and then you see, you know, a game like Raji, and it's like I've never seen clothing like that before in a video game. Can that's just... that's like coded South Asian. Yeah, and can I just yeah. say one thing about that game? Why I loved it so much because so I, I did a I did a live stream of it. If anybody's ever interested in watching a ten hour stream <laughs> of this, but I played it from start to finish and on your YouTube channel. It, it, and, it's not don't don't worry about it it's just a video Um, but the the thing is like i gushed the reason i gushed about it so much is because as an indian i instantly based on the the clothing picked up where she was from Mm -hmm. 
what kind of character she was based on her social status and, and mm. profession and so on and so forth, her age, because that style of, you know, clothing is worn by a younger girl. You know, it's, it's not something that an older woman generally wears because then the style changes. Even if they were mm. wore something similar, the style would change. So just visually looking at that, I could instantly pick up that she's from Rajasthan and or North India, at least that, uh, what you know, the fact that they because uh the 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 uh, like, what are those arm the arm things so they're a ba- type of bangles they're a type of jewelry worn very specifically by um i'm blanking the actually someone what was the, what's the name of the group that wears the bangles all on their arm um they go they're basically like the nomadic one of the some of the nomadic culture in india uh similar to lambari the lambari folks yeah, they're like the tribal uh, folks who kind of cool. are very much. Um, unfortunately, they're they're also, I guess, are, and I don't, I don't know if this is the appropriate way to say this, but more of our 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 um uh, like, and it's not even the right like word. the Romani, like the Romani. Yes, yes, thank you. Okay. Uh, yeah, not gypsy. The Rom- kind of like our Romani type folk who, um, you know, are kind of ostracized, but they're also like the performers and they are a very specific cast or group of people and so you look at that and you know that is that culture they're from that culture and And raji is like a circus acrobat or something isn't she in the story yeah yeah makes perfect sense and that's all the nuances that clothes can really represent if you do a lot of research well Mm -hmm. the same can be applied on just about really any culture like uh we have um, the traditional clothing that women wear, jilabiyat, and um, there's very uh, specific coloring and geometry pattern and everything that you can tell where that person's from. We have that is present in pretty much every culture, Asian or not, and you miss all of that. And it's it's a really missed opportunity for creative costuming and design because. The designers that uh, work on these games are talented. It's just, you know, if you spend more time on the research of it rather than just repeat the same tropes, it, it mm. can create all this value. Um, we actually had a um, a new. Uh, we have a we have a very one of our very first um, uh, anime movies that was made in Saudi, and it was made in collaboration with a studio in Japan. So it was a collaboration between Japan and Saudi to to create this anime movie. And they were so focused on getting the clothing so perfectly uh, correct in every single way that when they found that there was um, a struggle to explain the clothing and the material to um, some of the designers that were based in Japan, who are trying to depict this, this Arab clothing, they actually sent all of the fabric and the clothing and designed it and sent it over to Japan so that they could better depict it in the anime. The anime is called, um, yeah, it's called the journey and uh, it came out earlier this year. And it's just a really good example of a collaboration between two very different countries. And it was actually, um, voiced in in both arabic as well as japanese and shown in both countries so it was really uh, really nice combined uh, effort i want to check that out that sounds awesome and i feel like when you give that level of respect and and effort to research the level of storytelling that you can then give just you know because you're no you're not just 
one like it's multi-layered it's it's so much more rich i feel um even if it's mm-hmm. not like delved specifically into just having those visual representations done right mm-hmm. lends itself to so much more uh, um curiosity in people where mm-hmm. they're like oh you don't even have to explain it but the fact that it's there increases the curiosity in people to want to then explore and then find yeah. out and then go oh you know that the reason why they selected that in that very specific scene is because of this. Now I understand more. Now the media makes more sense to me or or has more mm-hmm. meaning to me, you know? Yeah. And, and fundamentally, film, film like... Ma- oh, sorry. So I was just going to say, like, film does this all the time where we have just visual cues layered and it's not explained. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, it, you, it's there. And then when you really want to study it, that's when you learn more about it. And you're like, wow. So that was the reason why this was depicted the way it was depicted, right? Mm-hmm. You don't, it doesn't need to be explained. It just needs to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking uh, yeah, like, of just... Oh, oh, no, sorry. Go ahead, Isa. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that, like, as a speaking as a costume designer, <laughs> um, like, fundamentally, costume design is a tool for mm-hmm. telling a visual story with your characters, for giving the audience information about your characters. So when all Swana characters are depicted using the same handful of Orientalist tropes, that's the only story that gets told with them. Mm-hmm. And by and large, we still haven't really moved beyond the belly dancer attire for the for the most part, there are positive examples, but but in the culture at large, we haven't really moved past that. And exactly what KP was talking about earlier with how he could look at Raji and instantly tell where her character was from and things about her character from the clothing she was wearing, that's what costume design is supposed to do. So we're limiting ourselves and the stories we can tell to our audience when we rest on the same handful of tropes over and over mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we're, we're talking about like clothing is, I think when one, one of the, the takeaways here is like clothing is very much a, a complex language mm-hmm. that not only tells someone where this outfit is from or where this character is from, but also their beliefs, their mm-hmm. social status, their family. Like there's so much to be said through clothing alone. But I wanted to pose this question to to you folks, and, and I feel like this is like a really good, like, latter latter sort of third of the episode. Is clothing the only way of communicating characters from these regions? So one character that I really want to talk about is because Isa and I have been talking about this character on Discord um, <laughs> is Kamala Khan. Yes, <laughs> I want to talk about Kamala Khan because. Kamala Khan is not only like a super groundbreaking character in the comics, but Kamala Khan is not only getting a TV show, but is also going to be in the next movie, The Marvels. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I think is really cool about Kamala Khan as somebody who just started reading her comics is her character to me does not rely on the stereotypes that we see of this part of the world and these cultures. She's very much a character of the diaspora. And that is something that she kind of struggles with. But what I wanted to point out with Kamala Khan is that like, this is a cool way of not only highlighting these parts, these, these, these cultural elements through what she does and her story, and not only through her costume, mm-hmm. because, you know, talking about South Asia, talking about West Asia, talking about like North Africa, and it even talking about like East Asia, like China, Japan, Korea, and Southeast Asia, and all of those countries, 
we don't have to lean on the samurai, the kung fu master, the belly dancer, the assassin, the the, oh, the 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 genie we don't have to lean on these things to actually talk about these cultures mm-hmm. we see films and and media properties like you know Kamala Khan like Miss Marvel who touch on these cultural experiences without this over reliance on the visual side of it mm-hmm. right the story the nuance the things that yeah. the characters do we see this with you know movies like um there is a movie coming out that I'm very excited about called blue bayou um it's a it's an independent film by uh justin chan uh i think audiences might know him as eric yorkie from twilight the only asian in twilight um (laughs) but he he has he has kind of gone from being this like he does comedic roles to 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 being this independent filmmaker and he has made movies about the Korean American experience, his experiences. Mm -hmm. He made a movie called Gook about violence against Koreans in the nineties, about two Korean brothers who open up a shoe store in California. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Right. And then he's got this new movie coming out called blue Bayou where first of all, he is, his character is married to Alicia Vikander. Like, she played Laura Croft in the most recent oh, Tomb Raider okay. reboot. But he, it's an Asian guy married to a white woman, which you don't see in film. Mm-hmm. And it's a movie about this guy who was brought over to North America after the Korean War as an adoptive child, but has a status where he can face deportation at any time, even though he was adopted and brought to America. And that's what the movie's about. And so it's about that Korean American experience and how he has, he is an American, but he is not treated as one, but it doesn't rely on, you know, him wearing Korean clothing. It doesn't rely on these sort of cultural costumes or cultural signifiers in fashion. Um, So I want to know your take on this, right? Like, obviously like we want more nuanced stories. Not only do we want nuance in the types of clothing that we see, because that's what we've talked about for the last like hour or so. Mm -hmm. But I think we also need to call for nuance in the stories being told through dialogue and through character interactions and through the variety of stories. Right. Yeah. It's absolutely every, every aspect of it. We deserve to see better. Definitely. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you you brought this up for Miss Marvel though, because I actually have a lot of thoughts about Miss Marvel's costume design. <laughs> well, I um, want to hear them because I don't I, <laughs> see. For me, I don't understand the costume, right. and so I want to know more. So um, I brought it up. Yeah. So I don't want to. I don't want to uh, drag it on for too long. Um, but basically, <laughs> so at the moment, I'm currently writing a script for a video mm. specifically about Miss Marvel's costume and character design, um, both in the comics and the series slash presumably in the movie as well um and about how basically i feel like it is a positive example of utilizing and iterating upon elements of cultural clothing to portray a a character on screen um and how specifically it is an amalgamation of aspects of south asian clothing and superhero iconography um like there's a comparison to be made with Superman's iconic costume 
with Miss Marvel's costume, they have a lot of the same elements, but Miss Marvel's reads distinctly as South Asian for numerous reasons, like the um, the cut of the clothing and what it's based on, the fact that it's based on like a burkini, for example. Mm-hmm. And it literally takes the South Asian elements and the iconic Superman superhero mm-hmm. costume elements and mashes them together in a really interesting way to tell you this is a South Asian superhero. Um, but Miss Marvel is also hugely popular. Pop, like her, her costume is, the costume design is amazing. Like there's a reason why they haven't changed it a lot. And whenever they have changed it, they've changed it back almost immediately because it's good <laughs> costume design. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other aspect of Miss Marvel that is so, that has made her so popular is the amazing writing behind the character and how endearing and relatable she is, regardless of who you are. Like I immediately related to the character because it was a way for me to explore my South Asian heritage, which I grew up quite cut off from through the lens of a character who was also exploring what that meant to her, even though she was more connected to her culture than I was when I was young. Um, and so it, it, for me, it was like a way to explore that aspect of myself um, through yeah. a character who also was struggling with like, okay, but how can I, but she's American, but like, but how can I be a Pakistani American um, and and like those kinds of things that people who uh, same in the UK as yeah. well, like people who yeah. are part of the diaspora struggle with. Um, but also the character is just like so endearing, but they weave aspects of her Muslim and Pakistani upbringing into casual conversations she has with her friends and, um, and with her family and even with other superheroes, it becomes just like, it's a natural part of her life. And that is, good way to portray that in both yeah. a like over and covert way i think mm-hmm. yeah, yeah absolutely character is definitely uh, a whole thing that you write out and clothing is one element of it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how you wear clothes is how you interact with the current situation you're in mm-hmm. realistically your clothing changes based on where you are so mm-hmm. for instance a character that isn't uh in their homeland oh uh, why would they be wearing their own traditional garb and why not wear something that might be more local? Mm. What what does that say? Like mm. there's a meaning behind that and it can be explored. If a character is dressed in their own traditional clothing, is that their way of representing their pride? Um, if, if they're supposed to be more covert and hidden, they wouldn't wear their own clothing. So, you know, you have, you have, to, they would dress appropriately for the setting and that says a lot about them. And, you know, when you design a costume in that way, you're going to uh, have to think of that. So obviously with Miss Marvel, she's still dressed like a superhero. It wouldn't make sense for her to being um, uh, one of uh, an Asian heritage to just be the one that doesn't really quite have a superhero outfit. Yeah, mm-hmm. She does. It's just it gives dots and, and, and uh, design in a way that, that shows it. But mm-hmm. in the end, you look at it, your first thought is that's a superhero's outfit. And that yeah. didn't change for her. So it, it it doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's based on what the setting is and what they're doing right now and how they're interacting with the world. So it's just one aspect that can change depending on what you're writing or what you're depicting mm-hmm. or what you're showing. And that change shows a lot. And for so- Kamala as well, you in the comics, you see very often um, her wearing like a lot of different outfits she wears yeah. the kind of clothing that a lot of like 
generally American teenagers would wear. You see her wearing like jeans and jackets and stuff, but you also see her wearing like salwar kameez when she goes to mosque and stuff like that. And sometimes like, uh, like sort of throwing on a scarf over like jeans and a t-shirt. Um, so mixing those cultural elements in, which is something that I remember like a lot of the Muslim girls at my school did, for example. Um, but also another interesting part of like costuming in the comics is when she first, yes, I had the book right here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) When she first discovers her superpowers, her, the initial costume that she creates for herself, which is part of her like shape-shifting ability, um, Mm -hmm. is she ends up looking like Carol Danvers as Miss Marvel before she became Captain Marvel, which is quite a sexy superhero Mm -hmm. suit. Um, and part of that first issue, I think it's actually the second issue is like her figuring out that she idolizes this person, but that doesn't mean that she has to try and look like her. She doesn't have to have to try and look like Mm. a white blonde woman in order to be a superhero. And then she ends up with this outfit after that, which I think is a really interesting way for them to introduce her as a superhero as well. And And also a lot about costume. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Who she is as a person, where she comes from. And, um, I just wanted to say, like, we've been talking about all these nuances, but you won't be able to get that if you don't actually approach the people and actually mm-hmm. involve them in every single level. And, that, you know, obviously, this is the, the, the this is the entire reason for this podcast, too, is mm-hmm. as Asian represents, having that representation, having people at every level as, as writers, as storytellers, as costume designers, and actually involving them in that process. Like, we have that image like if you like in the in the folder we were looking at like all these images yeah, of depictions of like the one the prince of persia live action right mm. oh yeah i put a, that there every single person <laughs> is a white person in that film depicting a middle eastern culture which already is very jarring and mm. you know it, it, you because of that because of you're involving people who are not from that culture who don't know anything about it you then continue to per, uh push out the same generic ideas of that culture because it's going through this one particular lens mm-hmm. every single time um and without you know without actually involving those people you're not going to know that these nuances exist you're not going to know that hey based on this situation this is what be the appropriate attire this would be the appropriate costume or maybe if we can if you do want to modify it this would be the way i would see that character modifying it based on the situation mm-hmm. um you know just like how isa had mentioned you know uh, Miss Marvel, she changed her attire initially. She tried it this way and then was like, no, this is not who I am as a person. And then even then, it's still a superhero version of that outfit, which I don't think a, a Western uh, or a, a white person doing this would have had picked up on and would have yeah. made another, probably another Carol Danvers, or like that first iteration would have continued. Mm. I think the, the original character designer was oh. Jamie McKelvey, uh, oh, who is a white dude. But Crucially, uh, G. Willow Wilson, uh, sorry, G. Willow Wilson, who wrote the first like volumes, is Muslim. She's a convert, but she's Muslim. Yeah. And Sana Amanat, who's a, I believe, like a producer or something at Marvel, was like consulting the entire time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they, so the two artists, Jamie McKelvey and Adrian Alfona, and G. Willow Wilson and Sana Amanat worked together. I believe from reading articles at the time that I remember worked very closely together Mm -hmm. to create a character that felt authentic and also new and creative and something we hadn't 
seen before and to make sure that the cultural elements were done in a way that was like respectful but also interesting um so there it's it's possible that when you like yeah. work together <laughs> yeah. with uh, yeah. with people from that culture to make sure that you are like depicting those things accurately i mean we're yeah. already seeing that and like so we could compare two big east asian movies the first one was I'm... oh 20... sorry my internet just cut out <laughs> oh no you're no, good no, you're, you're good. good i'm sorry oh, my first example is 2020's Mulan. God, that movie fucking sucked. <laughs> it's so bad. But it's, it, it's, a, it's a very good example of how having an Asian cast does not mean your Asian story is going to be good if they are not involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? You have a, a white director, a white costume designer. Yep. Same for Aladdin. Europe. Yeah. And same for Aladdin. Mm-hmm. Guy Ritchie directed that movie. Why? Who gave that movie to Guy Ritchie? Of all the directors in the world, why was it? Like, like why even Guy if Ritchie? do directors, why was it him? <laughs> like, like, if why, why will, I, I mean, I get why they cast yeah. Will Smith because this, the, 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 it may, brings the money. Mm. But there is like, also the, a, um, a vague tradition in uh uk pantomime and theater of casting the genie as a black man which i strongly oh, dislike because the genie is literally I, a slave ooh. um yeah yeah, 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 think yeah. About that. yeah. pantomime yeah. is a whole other like side yeah. of this <laughs> I yeah. even think um, about but that. yeah I'm, nah. obviously will smith is like a big name and a big draw but i i feel like that was drawing on that sort of theatrical yeah. tradition of casting a black man to play the genie um, mm-hmm. Which has its own discomforts that comes with it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. yeah. And, and like another example where you can't just, you know, in hiring an an, an Asian actor, it doesn't automatically make it work. Is uh, Shadow and Bone? Um, yes. So yes. the, from my understanding, the original books, the main character is not even Asian. And so they took that same story and just decided to make the TV show cast an Asian uh, lead actress and um, make her from that Asian part of the world. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's the amount of editing that they did to incorporate an Asian character in it. And so that ended up feeling rather empty. Mm. And if Mm. anything, um, they just wanted... it just felt like there was um, uh, this show of, of forced racism, but without actually exploring why are they racist towards each other? And and there's no um, connection with her and her views towards her heritage, any of these things. And, and even though she grew up very disconnected and not knowing anything about her culture, when she meets someone from her culture, there from her background rather, that let's say, because she didn't grow up with there, there was... There was no interest. There was mm-hmm. no questions. There was nothing. Mm-hmm. So it that felt actually, very flat. Yeah, um, so it, yeah it, that actually touches on uh, both with Mulan and Shadow and Bone and, and Aladdin. Uh, touches on another thing of when you have Asian talent front of camera, but not behind the camera. And generally this happens yes. with people of color. It's not just Asians, but um, yeah. There's, uh, there's a black British historian called David Olashoga, uh, who does a very interesting show called A House Through Time that everyone should watch because it's a really interesting uh, way of exploring okay. history from the bottom up instead of the top down through like ordinary people. Um, <laughs> and But yeah, he gave a speech, I think it was like, for like Edinburgh Award or something, uh, last year where he talked about how one of the main problems we now face in like the British television industry is with 
putting women and people of color front of camera, but not having them contribute behind the scenes so that you're still telling stereotyped stories, mm-hmm. but you're just mm-hmm. sort of using those people in order to be able to tell those stories that give the white creatives like, uh, like they get sort of lauded for telling these stories. Um, and that's something that has happened for a long, long time, not just in British television, but for mm-hmm. example, with <laughs> the kinds of movies that win Oscars, like Memoirs of a Geisha and Slumdog Millionaire, these stories set in Asia with oh. actors, but the white creatives are the ones who win awards. And they mm-hmm. are usually films where the majority of the creative team is white um, and they win a ton of awards, but the actors do not win awards. Mm-hmm. This um, is why this is why Chloe Zhao is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Because... Oh. Anyway, sorry, KP, you were going to say something. I was just going to say, I, I hate, I hate Slumdog. Not a hate. It's just, it's, I'm, just, I'm absolutely, it is such a lackluster film for me. Mm. And I, I still do not understand why it won the level of, 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 of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Acclaim. Acclaim that it had. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it, cause it, all it did, it, it showcased the sorrows of my country for the Western audience exactly. in a way that wasn't even like as accurate. Cause, and the thing is like, it, it was, it just felt like a subpar movie to me. It was like, eh, okay. It was a movie. Uh, oh yeah. They just for the sake of, Hey, this might be something Bollywood. There's a dance sequence at mm. the end. Everybody's <laughs> dancing. Yeah. And the thing is people don't realize like, even just like from Bollywood and from the various industries in India, we're getting so much more sophisticated uh, movies that are much more emotionally diverse and, and delve mm. into real issues of India that you never will see because no one wants to push it out there. You know, I think now it's starting to change up a yeah. little bit, but it's not really a you know a big mm-hmm. shift yet so now anytime anybody brings up oh yeah i watched an indian film and they say it's uh you know slumdog millionaire i'm just like no you <laughs> no you didn't i don't think like over here we didn't consider slumdog millionaire an indian movie it's not it is we did it like <laughs> and Bo- bollywood movies are very popular here it yeah. is it to to a point that you 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 even have um like bollywood parties to go and sit together and watch the movie and and um it, it's a huge part of the culture as well. And we even mm-hmm. in our cinemas have Bollywood movies. So Slumdog Millionaire was always just like, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. An, an, it was yeah. a thing. Like, I think, oh, sorry. I was just going to say like, uh, when I've been talking to like, so <laughs> I don't know if you know Nomadic. Uh, uh, so I've been, you know, I wa- let him watch a movie like a Bollywood when I hung out with him. Uh, with Trooper, I watched another movie. Um, so like there's a movie called Lagan, which is an absolutely it's it's a long movie it's a three hour 40 minute film it's on netflix but it's the entire movie is about the british rule during like like late 18th century and how uh you know like the struggles of the just the ordinary farmer against this oppressive rule and Mm. lagan means tax and how you know they're just trying to you know survive under this oppressive tax. So there's mm. that. There's another film called uh, Tare Zaminpar or called or, or uh, Like Stars on Earth that talks about learning disability and children with dyslexia. Um, mm. Like there's there's so many amazing films that tackle so many nuanced themes and th- topics. That, you know, but then it's you know in the Western field, all you ever see is hey look Bollywood dancing. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Since yeah. we're since the 
topic of uh, this episode was like costume and visual design. Um, I think an important aspect of those, like those films like Sundog and uh, mm-hmm. like Memoirs of a Geisha and stuff to touch on is the, the Orientalism through visual design in those kinds of movies, which is basically using Asian countries as set dressing. So they get to use mm-hmm. all the like the visual elements like set and locations and costumes and props uh, to uh, create like a visual feast of a movie, which is often an aspect of why those movies do so well and win a lot of awards for costume and production design, as well as direction mm-hmm. and cinematography. Um, but they don't get to tell that through the lens of like, like the, the people from those countries don't actually get to tell those stories. And in mm-hmm. those films, yeah. they don't get to be as like, necessarily like well-rounded people at the center of the story so for example a film like isle of dogs which is visually like amazing set in japan uses strong visual elements from japan but distances the audience from the japanese speaking characters at every turn and makes them feel like foreigners in their own story by having the Mm -hmm. dogs with american accents played by white actors be like the relatable protagonists and then you get movies and shows like Blade Runner and Firefly that use aspects of Asian inspired visual design as well as language to flavor the world, but don't have any characters of Asian, any Asian characters of significance in the cast to experience that world through. So it becomes set dressing with little substance behind it. Yeah, that's such a good point because sometimes you watch a movie and then, you know, you're, you're, you're wowed by how it looks visually. And, and then when you pause to think about it, what did this setting and culture and location, how did it influence the story? Like mm-hmm. you could have, you could have packaged it up and put it anywhere else in the world and the same things would have happened. And that just is very shallow. And um, it's it, 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 the way uh, clothing is, has to have like this back layer behind it that explains it. So rather than just just design in silo and then write in silo, if anything, the writing should filter in and that's why the characters dress this way or that's why the setting looks this way. And mm-hmm. having that, that funnel through as you would in normal life is what would give any kind of writing a lot more layers mm-hmm. to it. Because mm-hmm. you don't just... Um, have even when you're designing a house or anything like that everything is chosen with purpose and that is a representation of a character and it's the same thing in in any media i i've been watching trying to get into watching south asian movies and i was watching the action sequences from this series called Bahubali. Yeah. <laughs> what? They're so epic. Like I can talk to you about that. I want that, to... um, and see, and that, That's the thing. So like, it's like not a character that I would have ever seen in like Western media. And then seeing that there, I'm just like, what is happening? So that, that movie also, so this goes back to, you know, region specific things. That movie came from South in like my part of like uh that's not Bollywood film. That is Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's a Tollywood film, which is a that's the Telugu industry. So that's my home language, that's my regional language. So it came from there, right? So a lot of cultural influences from that part of the region is very prevalent throughout the film. So I, even a, a North Indian person who watched that film might not connect with everything because there's so many different things that they don't know culturally that is very specific to us. So that's one thing. On top of that, um, like 
anybody outside who watched that film is like, oh, they, they, why are these people so powerful? Blah blah blah. But you can't, you don't understand. Like you then also need to understand the 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 um not really religious but like mythology behind why these films exist because these all draw a lot of inspirations from major stories like Mahabharata, which is one of our major epics where you know all, even regular human beings were super powerful. You know, because this was during the time where, you know, because, man, uh, there's so many nuances and layers I can just go on with. Just let's talk. Film, let's do a whole episode on I that. I could do it. I, could, I would love to. Do it. Mahabali <laughs> is, is just an awesome film. Honestly. It's a great film. It's a yeah. fun like, film. I'm like, I'm watching it. I'm like, how does he move like this? I don't understand it, but I, I love everything I that's going yeah, on. I need to watch yes. this film. Which I'm going to so, watch it. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> honestly <laughs> if I, if like, if I had. Like, see, if, if I had seen a movie like that as a kid, I would have just been like, what? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, I have no <laughs> bad things to say about this film. <laughs> it's, a, it's like, I mean, there's corny bits. There's, there's corny, corny bits, but like, and, and but those. it's also just so cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, they do things in them, like the characters, like with, with, with zero understanding of like the cultural aspects, yeah. sort of background. The characters just do so much cool shit that it's like <laughs> yeah. I overlook literally everything else. Um, and like, if, if you want to know? So Bahubali just literally means like superhuman, like super. So uh, like it, it's just like super strong, someone who's very strong. Yeah. Right? So that's the reason why, because there's that scene where as a baby, he grips his uh, stepmother's hand and it's like she can't even pull away initially right because how strong mm-hmm. he was and like yeah. when she realizes that that was the reason she gave him that name Bahubali yeah. you know you know uh, and so you know that's where that comes from so not re- if you know these small subtle things uh, um, and like I was talking about like so this delves into the fact that because in, in Indian mythology and Indian uh, 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 religion our time is split up into a cycle that has different uh, um, portions to it, right? Different eras and called yugas or eras. And so what, what it is, is basically each yuga as it transitions into the next one, you have a, a reduction in, uh, in, I guess, divin- not really divinity, uh, righteousness. So like the good dharma, means righteousness or you know what like one's place in the world you add more chaos and you add more corruption into the world as you transition from each level and the thing is in the very first era human beings lived almost just as long as gods they were just as powerful but then then once you transition into the next one now like i think each one is one tenth of the previous one and we're now considered in the last yuga uh, the the kali yuga is the yuga where it basically leads at the end into armageddon this is the most corrupt era everybody you know is morally so cool. ambiguous and so on and so forth so we a lot of these like even if you look at a lot of uh especially south indian films when you see even regular heroes right who are just regular people that's the reason why we have these crazy fight scenes where like a hero punches someone and the guy flies. They could fly through the wall or like punching <laughs> right? through like doors yeah, yeah. and like, so defying, us, like defying gravity. Yeah, so, so to us, that because that is uh, what we, we are hearkening back to the days where that the previous yogas where human beings were more righteous. And that was the reason why, okay, so this hero, because he's more righteous and he is the hero and embodies this, he kind of embodies that previous era of humanity where we were more righteous and so it draws a lot of illusions from that 
But you don't mm. really pick up on a lot of those things if you are not, you know, if you're a white director or a Western director trying to direct these sort of films. Um, like we were talking earlier about Slumdog Millionaire, there's an actual, another film called White Tiger that recently came out. I think it came out last year. And it's a, I think it's a, either an Amazon Prime exclusive or a Netflix exclusive. Um, but it's literally the same story of, about, an, you know, of someone from the slums who fought all against all odds to become successful at the end, but it is much more grounded, much more realistic and it more gritty and raw. And it really showcases the the, the issues of India a lot better. And it's, it was written, directed and uh, produced by, I think Priyanka Chopra. uh, So by a Brown, you know, Priyanka Chopra was in the movie. She was, yeah, she was the, and it was written by Raman Barani. Yeah, and yep. it's based on mm-hmm. a a novel by Aravind Adiga. Yeah, so all the influences, the people involved in it came from, you know, you know, are all brown, are all Indian, and therefore the story that was told yeah. is our Uh-oh. story. And it's because it, 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 it's compared KP. as said again. Uh, oh, did did KP cut out for the rest of you? No, no, no. Oh, oh, cut out for me. No, <laughs> oh, no. Can you hear me? Yeah, my my, it's, my my internet connection is unstable, so oh, no. we'll, we'll we'll see what what is going on. We'll try. We'll oh, try to wrap to me up. twice in this recording. Just you, just all three of you are yeah. just dropping so much knowledge that my internet's like it's too much. Yeah, White Tiger was great. I really yes. like Tiger. You've seen it? Yes, yes. yes. So, I gotta like, watch it. it. It's like the Slumdog Millionaire if it actually yeah. was Slumdog Millionaire. Like, yeah, because, actual... like, you know, what a surprise. The setting interacts with the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a good story. <laughs> I'm super happy that people finally know who Tony Leung is. Um, <laughs> right? It's, that is such a travesty. Like, like people, like he, he alone is a reason to watch that movie. Is he, he the, the dad? He's, he's yeah. the dad. Right. He yeah. is a, he is an icon in Hong Kong, Hong mm-hmm. Kong cinema. Mm-hmm. Like he has done lit- comedy, action, mm-hmm. drama. He, he's literally done everything. Like in, in, in Asia, they they call him the the man who can speak with his eyes. That's what they call him right. because he is so good at acting yeah. that he just needs to look at you. Yeah, my brother, uh, um, my brother is uh, a kung fu instructor and watches a lot of like Asian kung fu movies and stuff, um, and just a lot of like Asian and Chinese movies in general. And I feel mm-hmm. like I have seen that man on my family's TV screen a million fucking times. <laughs> like, just him, like, walking past my brother in the living room. <laughs> Like, 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 the dude is like he doesn't age like he's immortal like he's like, like he's like our american like yeah so when i say our like american is uh very similar in the sense uh sorry go ahead i, I can no no go ahead go ahead uh, no, no. i was just going to say like similarly there's a character there's an actor named american who is a chameleon in terms of acting he's the movie lagan that i was mentioning the, earlier mm-hmm. so that was his movie from 2000 and then he so he's done 
so many and his i love his films because each one of them is tackling some sort of a social issue or a top a very heavy topic so that movie about dyslexia the learning disability he's mm-hmm. in that film he's in a film called secret superstar that tackles uh gender norms and also uh, uh cultural oppression of women uh he did another movie called three idiots which is my favorite film of all time but that tackles education in india and this this mm. You know, idea of like you have to be like a doctor or some some profession that uh, that is successful, and anything outside mm-hmm. of that is unacceptable. Uh, what was the other film? Uh, PK, the movie called PK, which uh, is about an alien visiting Earth and observing our religion and finding out how oh. organized religion is absolutely <laughs> terrible. So you know, all these crazy and but they're all amazing, amazing films that you don't get to see here and no yeah. one knows about here because all everybody ever focuses is Swamp dog millionaire mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's interesting because like where i am i'm not i can't say that i'm experiencing a lot of the same things because you know um if we were to watch something of another culture like korean films we get korean mm-hmm. films we get uh indian films we would get uh quite a lot and everything else is really just American. Mm-hmm. So we just mm-hmm. see it as that's an American film. This is a Korean film. This is a, and then um, within the Middle East, uh, all of the films that might get popular, like an Egyptian film, or now that we have Saudi films, Saudi films, those just are pop up and they show up on their own. And I don't think we ever had this blend of confusion between mm-hmm. what an American film with a Korean cast is and then what is a Korean film. Or the same thing with an with an Indian one, and that's there's always been that very clear, um, obvious disconnection. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting that's an interesting point. Like with um, you know, if it's from Korea, it's a Korean film. If it's from America, it's an American film. Mm-hmm. But there's no like Korean American film. It's it's an interesting way of like uh, approaching you know how you uh, consume media and what sort of cultures, nationalities, or whatnot you associate. With, with media and then in your case it's it's literally country of origin yeah um how it happens over here because i feel like i mean maybe it changes depending on where you are but like i feel as though american movies are still like movies and then a lot of people will go like but this movie is a british movie so it kind of happens the other way around mm. where like okay all the other all the other movies are like well american movies are like movies and then you get like the foreign films quote unquote that aren't american Mm. and then it's british movies specifically and we always talk about like bolstering the british film industry and the british television industry and stuff but we get so much american stuff that like it's just sort of normal to have that rather than being like these are american movies you know yeah the british tv industry is so different from north america so wildly different and i think in in many ways it, it does some things much better um in that there's a real focus on like short concise mm. stories yeah. like this series six episodes <laughs> six we're episodes not gonna, and you're done we're not, and you're done and we're not gonna drag it on <laughs> because that's the story and then here it's like we're gonna do this for 15 seasons mm. because it yes that, that um the that joke on the supernatural the office there's that joke on the good place where tahani's like oh this show ran on the bbc for 60 years they did nearly 12 episodes or something yeah. like that <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah exactly 
<laughs> you get it, right? And you know, the good place is a, is a the good place is another cool example of a show that, like, I think is really neat because it it's got that representation and it's got all these different stories. Hmm. And I, I kind of wanted to kind of segue in, into this idea of an ensemble Asian cast with different stories. And, you know, prior to this, we were talking about like different directors and, you know, Asian people leading Asian stories or just Asian people and other people of color being in decision-making roles in the creative process and not just as on-screen talent, set dressing, set dressing yeah. extras, or literal sets, uh, as, as is if you mentioned, literal sets. Yeah. Um, the one that I wanted to talk about was Eternals. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about Eternals because not only does it have um, an Asian, a Chinese director, but it has a very, very diverse cast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like Gemma Chan. It's got like, I want to specifically talk about my boy, Kamal Nanjani. I want to talk about him specifically because, you know, we were I talking thoughts. about, we were talking about Bollywood and we were talking about superheroes and we were talking about Kamala Khan. And one thing that I think is really interesting about the Eternals is that I think not only are you going to get that, not only is it a movie in general that with a, a Marvel movie, I should say, that hasn't really with a story that hasn't really been told. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a story about people who are immortal and have not been acting upon all of the things that have happened in the MCU. Right. But what I think is really awesome is that they cast a they have a very diverse cast to fill these roles. They're not all like, ha we're all white, immortal people. It's literally like this. This person is Asian. There's like there's a there's a Chinese one. There's there's a Korean one. Like, I think. Um, I don't know Kamala and Johnny's background. Is he? What's his he's Pakistani? He's Pakistani. Yes, he's um, Pakistani. And uh, then, but you know, I, we were all one country. The culture is very, yeah. very sim- similar. Um, but like, I but there but there are certainly differences. So like for me, yeah, it's yeah. like oh, I, I never want to like make a generalization about an yeah, individual. Yeah, if I absolutely. could get the answer right, and I think yeah. that's what most people should do. But I think what's super cool about this movie is that not only is it gonna, it's gonna be a huge hit. I think it's going to be a huge hit so. because it's it's that epic. It's it's being marketed as that Avengers, right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. got this diverse cast. It's got huge stars. Like it's got like Game of Game of Thrones fans are going to want going to watch it. Like Angelina Jolie is one of the leads, and then we have these these Asian characters who are filling roles that you might not think would actually be associated with an Asian character, which is why I think it's such a an important. Mm high profile Western movie for that mm-hmm. reason alone, because they weren't like, okay, we need this character's Asian. We'll cast an Asian character or this character's not Asian. We're not going to put an Asian actor in this role, but they did. Mm. Yeah. And what's cool about Kingo, the character that Kamala is playing, his whole thing is like, I'm immortal. I'm going to be a Bollywood star. That's his character's cover. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and he learned how to do Bollywood dance for the movie. And I read that the other day and I was like, oh shit, that's what his character is doing in the movie. And then you see it in the trailer and I was like, oh, this makes sense. But I think what's going to be so great is that because this movie has the, all of the, because Disney is so good at like putting all the ingredients in to make a success, except for Mulan. Um, And Aladdin. (laughs) 
and Aladdin. <laughs> God, yeah. I see a trend here. But <laughs> with, with this movie, they have all the ingredients for success. But I think the results are going to be something that, you know, most people haven't talked about. And it's that exposure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to Bollywood. The exposure yeah. to Asian <laughs> actors playing roles that aren't necessarily, that necessarily needed an Asian care actor. Yes. Right? They're not typecast I, for being exactly. like, they're not like, we ha- we have this one guy who comes in and does Kung Fu for a bit. Mm-hmm. There's your yep, Asian. Yep. Like, There's your Asian. <laughs> yeah. We have exactly. this belly dancer who comes in for one scene. There's your Asian. Like, it's not that. <laughs> it's they're there and they're playing. They have these nuanced roles that aren't necessarily tied to the actor's Asian-ness. Yeah. Yeah. Except, except I, I guess Kamal Johnny, he's like, it's like a Bollywood star. But there's more to his character in the movie because he's literally immortal. Like, yeah. I want to see what else he did. I really, I really do hope. Yeah. yeah, I really do hope that they kind of take it beyond just that aspect. But one thing I also wanted to talk about, and I feel like every Asian faces this, especially Asian males, in the sense of we're never depicted as desirable, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. Until very reasonably, uh, recently, I mean, uh, where, where, where either the comedic side characters, we are just typecast as this, you know, mysterious kung fu master, uh, and but always in a physically more feeble state or less desirable than the white male yeah. or even any any other white male character in that in that uh, role right and then to see yeah. Kamal Nanjiani go from the, that very stereotypical nerdy character from Silicon Valley into this you know kind of a god and mm-hmm. and and actually have power and showcase that power but at the same time I'm hoping that they don't make him into a, like once again even though he looks like a god you know shows him more badass and shows him in that light that it's not just, you know, oh, he's a Bollywood star and that, that, that's it. So I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in this and I'm really, I was like very excited that he was cast as this character. So good looking. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, um, he's so but, ripped, but he's, it, but, oh. Sorry. But I'm very, very <laughs> curious. Daniel's just over having takes. a crisis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, when the other films that I was genuinely, I want to see, and I haven't seen it yet, but I was so glad it was made. I don't know how it was. I don't know how well it was made. Uh, and actually, I'm even blanking the name of it right now. Um, but he's the romantic lead in that film. Uh, next oh, the, the to, long, oh, the long, the, the big sick? sick? The, yeah, the big sick. Well, oh, that's, no, about that him, that's, about, that's actually that's about story. him no, and no, his no, wife. Not that's that his story. One. That was not that one, which also I'm, I'm amazing and I need to see Good it. Good movie. Uh, but it was, it, it, I, it's like one of those, this is a, a popcorn flick in the sense of um, it, it's him next to a black female lead and their romantic, in, you know, their romantic interests. Like they're the couple. Oh, in oh. The shit, a mixed race couple where one of them is a uh, white. Uh, uh, yeah, Lovebird. Lovebird. Yeah, I think Lovebird. so. Yeah, yeah. So, right. So to see that depiction and see a not a, a interracial couple that is not mm-hmm. white person with another inter, like race, oh, yeah, and and see that, I'm hoping that there was a level of nuance and and have that level of depiction. But then uh, you know, actually seeing him as a romantic lead in a film like yeah. this, you know, was just like whoa, mm. was not expecting it. It is comedy. It is a comedy still, but you know, he's he was the lead character, and then we have a black lead female character who is not just sexualized and it shows the, a genuine love between them from mm-hmm. what I saw. Um, you know, yeah. things like that. We're seeing more of those. We're seeing a lot more 
TV shows that are better representing the um like the the, the Asian American experiences. Master uh, of None. Master of None. We have. Kim's I recently watched um, Never Have I Ever. I think it was called about the yes uh, the, Asi- Indian the Indian girl, girl. yeah, yeah. Indian so girl. that was the other one Which is and really good. like watching this yeah watching these movies like or these shows like especially that never have I ever yeah it's stylized yeah you're like uh but at the same time you're like that was part of my experience i was mm-hmm. that kid who was super em- embarrassed about her culture uh, about his culture about mm-hmm. you know where he was from and you know hated his- bringing his food into 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 school and and you know but it's so fun because now that we are getting this representation and more people talking about it, I was talking to uh, a family friend the other day who, whose kids are going through school. Like her, her oldest daughter just entered sixth grade in middle school. And how like because there's so much more representation, she's not embarrassed. And she actually asks for Indian food because her mm-hmm. friends are bringing Indian food. I'm like, I didn't have that like growing up. I didn't have <laughs> yeah. that level yeah. of comfort. Uh, growing up and seeing that be okay now I, makes me very, very hopeful and excited. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was really lucky because, you know, when I was growing up, I, I went to schools where there are a lot of Asian people. Yeah. And so, like, I, I got, I ate that food all the time. Um, but again, like, I would literally not... throw my food away and rather have pizza that day because I would get comments like, ooh, your food smells. What is that? And I'm like, okay. There's, um, <laughs> there's a, the show, uh, Fresh Off the Boat. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. They literally do a scene in one of the early episodes where they go to buy white people lunches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and like that, that really sp- spoke to people. I mean, Eddie Wong has said that, like, you know, that show is not his story, but that show is still important because it shows Asian characters in roles that you wouldn't tradi- associate with traditional Western media. Yeah. We're like, we're the main characters. We're just regular people doing regular people things. And we're not yeah. like, you know, the Asian geek and we're yeah. not the martial artist. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why, yeah. you know, movies like I think one of the best movies in terms of feeling seen in was always be my maybe. Ooh. Um, if you haven't watched it, because it has one trope in it that I hope is that I hope becomes a, a character trope in the future. And it's the slacker Asian. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. you don't see that yeah. And, and yeah. Because, because of the model minority myth mm. and Randall Park's character is literally I've... this slacker stoner who is just trying to find his way in life. And that's something like you that don't see. Is actually becoming now that you mention it, I feel like that is actually becoming a bit of a, trope almost like to combat the like asian nerd Mm -hmm. trope like Mm -hmm. there's that film there's um josh chan in crazy ex-girlfriend and um jason in the good place the sort of yeah not necessarily just slacker but the sort of like the like anti-asian nerd character yeah yeah yeah. like it feels like they they very deliberately do it like in the to the opposite direction I mean, it's like the same thing with the Master of None with, you know, Aziz Ansari's character who is just, he wants to be an actor, which is very frowned upon. It's so weird. Don't do an accent. (laughs) Yeah, and don't do an accent. But also just like that expectation of from his parents of why are you becoming an actor? You know, because it's not a typical thing that an Indian American would do. Like their job is to become either a doctor or an engineer. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is breaking the mold. And then having that, having him so like normalized in that sense and not made other 
felt mm-hmm. so genuine to me because that was my experience growing up in this country. Yeah, they did that in the in the office um, with uh, in uh, season two, the Diwali episode. Yeah. And Mindy Kaling's parents were actually playing her character, Kelly's parents in the office. And they're like, why are you dating Ryan? This guy's a doctor. Yeah. And it's just like, I was just like, oh, like, that's like, yeah, you know, yeah. Mindy Kaling wrote that bit. You know, she wrote yeah. that bit. Yeah. 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 No, um, honestly, with all of this, there's still not that much um, representation of Arab characters. Yeah. A lot of. Uh, a lot of times in Western media, when they show Arab characters, they don't uh, actually even cast uh, Arab mm-hmm. actors. They, if they try, they cast uh, an Indian actor. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. If they yeah. if they try. Yeah. Um, because uh, like the same thing uh, in uh, the first <laughs> Iron Man film, the main uh, the the head of the the Iron the. The, the the ten rings that were that's depicted in there the main villain that gets uh or not Jeffrey demon. Irons no uh, uh what's no, no his name? Uh, uh, not not Jeff Bridges Jeff, when, Jeff the Bridges, one like no. he's the one that kidnaps Tony and sees Tony and he's like the head of that organization in mm-hmm. whatever country that like Middle Eastern country that Tony's in that he's an Indian actor he yeah. was speaking yeah. Hindi like when he yeah. was speaking he was speaking Hindi I understood him I was like that's Hindi. <laughs> Yeah, and then, uh, then oh, you have like you you have uh, lost. Uh, they cast and and I am not sure where he's from, but he's a Southeast Asian actor. And the Arabic that they used, he could he he couldn't speak Arabic. He yeah. couldn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he was speaking, but that wasn't really Arabic. And he's meant to be Aragi, and that just was that was just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and to, to dunk on Aladdin yet again, the woman they cast as Jasmine in the live action Aladdin was half Indian, not. Yeah. Arab. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah. on Aladdin, I do really hope that the the lead, um Mesa, what's his name? Uh, uh the, the 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 actor who played Aladdin, it's rumored that he's going to be cast as Ezra Bridger in Star Wars. Oh. Which would make him the first South Asian lead on a Star Wars property mm. should it happen. Post-stream and pre-recording editor Daniel here just wanted to note that Mena Masood is not actually South Asian, but is in fact Egyptian. Uh, but the point I'm about to make about Star Wars Rebels and, well, we'll, we'll get there. That that part still, still I think, has some validity. Uh, but yeah, wanted to come in, you know, sort of post-production and correct that. Um, and that also means that one of the most prominent south asian coded star wars characters may also come into live action so the character M- mesa M- masood i think uh, is his name uh, mina masood yes mina. he he's he's it's rumored that he's being cast as ezra bridger who's the main mm. character of star wars rebels that character is not coded as asian but they're casting an asian character potentially to play that that's, to play that's him, cool which i think that is happens. fucking awesome but there's also a, a South Asian coded character who breaks so many stereotypes of Star Wars Rebels, and that's Sabine Wren. She's a Mandalorian who wants to be an artist and express herself artistically. And she is voiced by a South Asian actress and is coded as Asian in Star Wars. So I really hope that if they decide to go in this route in like The Mandalorian, I really think we're going to see more Asian representation in media where it's not often seen, right? You know, we started this episode talking about, you know, like 
orientalism and visual shorthands, right? Which I think is like probably one of the best ways to put it is a, and then this kind of, this conversation transformed into one about, well, what does representation mean beyond these visual indicators? Mm -hmm. And I think what we've kind of come to is like representation means, you know, in, in film and RPGs and video games, is seeing these characters occupy roles that are not defined by these previous visual shorthands, mm-hmm. right? Having a, a Chinese character not be the Kung Fu character mm-hmm. or having, you know, like a, like a Swana character not being the exotic support character belly dancer mm-hmm. or like not having, like having a, a Muslim character who's not the Prince of Persia or or a terrorist or a villain, yeah. right, in a film. And I think we're starting to see that in the future with yeah. the Marvels, right, with Eternals, with, you know, I mean, Eternals kind of covers what I said, too. I, I'm just really hyped about Eternals. Um, <laughs> and I think we need to see more of that in RPGs. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're seeing a push for this in TV and, and film. Mm-hmm. But we don't see this in RPGs because I feel like RPGs are really stuck in these old sort of genre tropes. Yes. It's and a, it's a ha- big part of the trappings of every fantasy thing being based on Tolkien where they are mm-hmm. there is literally mm-hmm. the trope of like the Easterlings, the people from the East who are brown and bad and they live over there in the East and yep. we don't talk about them until they come over with their elephants to kill us. Like yep. it's... Fan- yeah. when when all you do is base your fantasy worlds off of these same handfuls of tropes and that's not even just the tropes about brown people it's the the tolkien based fantasy that D and yeah. rpgs tend to sit in mm-hmm. it limits us to the roles that people of color got to play in those worlds typically which was not much and yeah. usually yeah. very stereotyped yeah and, and that's, basically that's... anything uh, anything that is white is right anything that is brown or any black is just wrong like yeah like, we weren't even gonna talk and, about orcs <laughs> yeah orcs and yeah. drows and, and you know it's just yeah. that i think we have we were having this conversation before the stream about how like the concept of being black is now is, was at a time it's not even co- about a race but more of just the lowest rung of, like delegating anybody to the lowest rung of society like in mm-hmm. we were talking about in like the netherlands even turkish people were considered black people or of, of the black group because that was what was deemed the lowest rung here and, and you know it, it it really just makes it you know you're pushing an entire negative concept and making a, a specific group of people the definition of a negative thing and that just yeah it just it, it yeah. speaks so much and, uh, I, I, and i think like one of the biggest ways that we can fix this within uh, rpgs is to have more creators of these different mm-hmm. regions, and and that th- and and those creators even then have to be wary of what they create, and and to look back at where they're gaining inspiration and where it's tracing from, mm-hmm. and just just by doing that, doing a little bit of due diligence before actually putting pen to paper or you know um, sketch to design and things like that, you mm-hmm. you could do so much. It represents so much more and end up bringing a story that is unique in its own right and has 
depth of culture and perception that will lead to someone going out and talking about it. I mean, mm-hmm. just look how much, uh, at least how much I learned just to looking at um, Raji and you guys explaining what all of this means. And that happened because someone did all of that work and put it in this beautiful package for you to go out and play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why I think in the RPG space, it's important for, you know, you folks to not only be on streams, right? I think it's also important for you to be involved in writing, like like KP, right? <laughs> and, and, uh, you're a writer, right? Like I and I, I want and like people doing art, like Isa, you're constantly showing the art that you're working on, and I think like it's it's really incredible seeing like in the year that I've known you, seeing how your skills have just leveled up dramatically, like um, since you're your... doing all this stuff or like Safia, like <laughs> literally being, being on big stages yes. and like, you know, at representing your community, but also creating hubs through Crossroads Guild for people to connect and feel empowered to tell these stories. Right. That's why it's important for folks like us to not just be, the cultural consultants to fix or to point out the mistakes that white yes. people make, right? Yeah. Because they don't have to listen to editors. They don't have to listen to consultants. And oftentimes people use folks like us in the industry as like a stamp, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know, Izzy, you've talked about this with streaming as well and things like that. And we don't have to go into that. But like, we're not here to just be like this like stamp of approval or this thing that you can use to say that you're trying to be better, yeah. right? Because yeah. that just makes us set dressing, right? Yeah. We, we are yeah. here in the TTRPG space to be your writers, to be your artists, to be your project managers, to be your creative leads, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. To be yep. your designers. And right? I also want to like address the people who also then go, oh, well, why does it matter if, as long as you have the best people in those roles? Like, oh, why does it matter as long as you have the best actor? And why do you need to, you know, why is this, you know, why do you have to be such an SJV, SJW about this? And so on and so forth. And to those people, I really want to just let you know, like, A, it's really, I uh, forget what the, it's, it's a big fallacy to say that you can't have the best in that group of people. Yeah. You know, you can still have amazing actors and amazing talent in that. And you don't have to just be like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm distilling my, my, my search down because now I'm only relegating it to that, that group of people. Yeah. No, it's because all you did was now opening up to more options that you never even bothered to consider. Yeah. That's that one. argument implies that yeah. we are not equally skilled and talented. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or, that the best, or that we it's, are not the yeah. best, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's a huge exactly. cop out. It's yeah. a huge cop out to stay in your circles and exactly. to not even try because you worry about being challenged in your views. It's a huge yeah. cop out. Exactly. And then the yeah. other aspect is also, um, you're not being genuine, you know, you're not providing a platform or a voice to have these stories then be told uh, in the way that they're supposed to be and meant to be. And I can understand or see, uh, like the only time I can see having that argument and be okay with it is if you are, it, it becomes normal to tell these stories accurately with actual uh, uh, care and respect that they deserve from mm-hmm. everybody in the industry. And you're not producing content that are very shallow and 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 uh you know harmful like we've yeah. discussed yeah. right yeah, um, yeah. when we get when we get to that stage fine yeah. then yeah, you get to say go that. ahead yeah. yeah you can maybe yeah. you know, even then yeah. i'll be very wary of you but you know we're not there at all yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we've, you know? we've yeah. talked about it on critical read alcadem a few times i think where we've said like maybe also 
if you are a white creator looking to create something based on like Asian culture or a culture that's not your own, maybe do ask yourself the question, like, why do I want to do this? And am I the person to do this? And if I still Mm -hmm. want to do this, who am I surrounding myself with when I create this book or this setting or this game or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, like ask yourself really genuinely be like, why do you want to create a Japanese samurai game? Why do you want to create another like stereotyped Middle Eastern setting, you know? Yeah. How much of this is your fetish of mm. that culture? Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, no, we have, we, so, um, uh, a lot of the writing projects I work on, I try to introduce my, uh, Arab culture to write in and, uh, we have uh, a writing group, uh, where I am that works on these things and works on representation and it's it's more local projects but it, uh, to, to represent different parts of Saudi but um, we do end up getting wary when um, uh, an expat especially a um, like a white expat joins in because we've had this issue where they join in and they like I'm writing a book about the Saudi woman's experience and I'd like here I'd like to interview you to write my book and we're like why? Why are you writing this book? Why are you writing this book? Is it about your experience here? No, it's about the Saudi woman's experience in Saudi. Mm-hmm. And it's just very um, offensive. Uh, and we just are uh, are not fond of having those kind of people around. And it's almost mm-hmm. like they're they're sitting there wide-eyed, like waiting. And, and their questions are always very guided. Of uh, they, they might as well just go out and ask, so how do you feel oppressed? <laughs> yeah. yeah. This that, weird that's... sort of fetish for like the oppressed woman. And yeah, it's... Yeah, that's very bizarre. That, that's uh, a, like like is a savior mentality of mm. hey, I'm here mm. to, to showcase to your you. story. I'm here. To I'm helping you. I'm doing men. you a favor. Yeah. <laughs> so so that said, if you could get past those questions, if you can get past Isa's line of questions, like why are you doing this? Do you need to do this? Are you surrounding yourselves with the right people? Right the best and people, balances. Right. Yeah. If if you have if you in your heart believe that this is a project and about a, an Asian culture and you, you are not Asian that you should do, you know what you should do? You should hire these three people who are on this show right now. <laughs> um, that said, in order to wrap up, you know, is a designer, master level cosplayer, streamer, crafter of nuanced Twitter threads and the best Twitter handle on the internet. Where can people find you on the internet? And <laughs> what have you got going on? Um, well, you can find me at my best Twitter handle in the world, Evil Clever Dog. Um, I'm also I'm also Evil Clever Dog on Instagram and YouTube. Um, I make videos about cosplay and crafting, but I'm, as I mentioned earlier, looking to expand and make some videos, maybe looking at dissecting like costume design and elements of visual design because I am have been up until COVID primarily a set and costume designer for theatre. Um, but you know, theater's dead. (laughs) Um, so yeah, you can find me in those places. Um, and (laughs) at the moment, what am I working (laughs) on? Because, um, I've been ill and haven't been streaming a lot. So I haven't done And that's that's okay. Your your health comes first. You've got a backlog (laughs) of YouTube videos that folks should be watching. I'm trying to work on new ones. Um, but yeah, editing is slow, but 
yeah, I'm writing that video about Miss Marvel and I've been working on my Ares cosplay. So hopefully I'll be able to finish some of my videos for that soon. Um, and yeah, just like check out my my various yeah, <laughs> cosplay you, and art things. <laughs> you, you do amazing stuff. And like, you know, we, we talked about this before as well, like, you know, community and, you know, getting like putting yourself in a, in a new and different position to, mm -hmm. to tell different stories and taking that step. Safia, where can people find you on the internet? What have you got going on? Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at uh, Sophia underscore C. Um, and uh, what I actually just wrapped up and finished, gosh, was it last week, was the first ever Middle East and uh, North Africa uh, tabletop roleplay gaming convention that we had done. And uh, we had different um, talks and games. There was a localized version of Honey Heist set in historical town Jidda. Uh, okay. there, there was a campaign launch run by uh, my dear friend Ahmed, uh, where he's launching his, his version and his playthrough of Zahara. Uh, the campaign setting, so he, so that that was launched last week, and I think they have they're out on three episodes now. They're streaming, um, I believe. Uh, I gosh, I forgot which day, but you can find out more information. Is that on? That. Is that on Ahmed's YouTube channel too? Uh, yes, it is. Um, so there, we also um, uh, I ran a game for the first time as a DM on Twitch and launched the Crossroads Guild uh, Twitch channel, which will be having more games um, from uh, my wonderful community. We actually even had an all women's um, uh, game panel run by uh, my players and my friends, all of them from the region. And it was just great. We even had a uh, panel in Arabic uh, talking about how to get into tabletop roleplay gaming, mostly as a DM, but also for players. We even had a, uh, a, a nice a short panel on uh, publishing where we had some great guests that have, ex that have fantastic experience in publishing and writing. And um, it's just been a, a great effort. And we've had uh, people from all over the MENA region from Egypt and, and Emirates and Lebanon and a couple of different places all join in. So it was just wonderful and great. And we even uh, talked about uh, uh, so, some parts of um, how to push to have more content locally. And um, it, was, it was just fantastic. And we're hoping to do this annually. Uh, so a lot of these can be found on our um, uh the YouTube channels as well, and I can link the uh, YouTube. Uh, uh, what's it called? Okay, yeah, I'm gonna put all. I'm I'm taking yeah. notes. I'm putting links to all of this stuff. <laughs> I'll send uh, you the YouTube know, playlist. <laughs> yeah, on our on our on our you know for our patrons, and of course on the on the YouTube uh, video for this. And you know, last but certainly not least, KP photographer, right. the elite one of the elite photographers of the TTRPG space. No. Streamer. This has actor, big, like, America's and... Next Top Model vibes, like, noted fashion photographer Nigel Black. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> noted and, uh... cosplay photographer KP. <laughs> <laughs> uh... And, of course, let's not forget recent contributor to the latest issue of Warlock, issue 28, uh, on Ravenfolk. You are a published TTRPG writer now. Where can people can find you that. on the internet and all of your amazing work? 
Um, so hi everyone, I'm KP, also known as KP11 Studios on pretty much most of your social medias. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Twitch, I'm on Instagram. Um, I, I'm mostly a photographer. I do portrait and cosplay photography. Uh, I will say I'm good at what I do. I enjoy what I do and I get to work with really amazing people, which enables me to produce great content, uh, whoever you are. You're always great, and I always will enjoy working with you. Um, but outside of that, uh, I'm also, I, I play a lot of TTRPG games. I'm currently in a long-term campaign called City of Light and Dark on Friday uh, on uh, Trooper SJP's channel, where it is a, it's a fate-based game set in the 1940s uh, in Fran uh, Nazi-occupied France, and we're a bunch of resistance fighters trying to be undercover out there and trying to bring uh, bring them down to justice. I play a character named uh, Prince, Pritham, Prince Pritham Singh, also known as Dr. Pritham Singh, uh, who I absolutely adore and enjoy his wide-eyed innocence and I'm constantly scared for because I'm in Nazi Germany and I am... Hur, hur. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's an absolute joy to playing him. Uh, I also am on Cobalt Souls uh into the Southlands campaign, which happens tomorrow every Sunday at 1 p.m. on their channel. I'm a, uh, a guest player there, and I play a, a Ravenfolk uh, character named Sunny Hashani, who is based off of a god of similar name. Uh, there's a lot of uh, allusions, uh, alluding to said god, and the re there's a reason why I picked him uh, as the inspiration for it. Um, so if you're ever interested, go check that out as well. I, I love him. And I try to make sure that any game I play, every character that I do embody, I try to bring in my culture. I play a person of color from my culture that I can just showcase about. Uh, Isa knows this because she created the art for one of, I'm sorry, they, I'm sorry, Isa. Uh, did mm -hmm. I get that? Was it, I forget. I'm so sorry if I missed your uh, pronouns. Was it? Oh, no, she. She's good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, uh, my brain. Sorry. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> You're fine. She, um, she made the artwork for that character. I I still love it so much. It's like one of my favorite favorite art pieces that I always look at, <laughs> and I love that character so much. Um, but, uh, yeah, I love uh, her so too. things like that. So if you're, if you're, if you're ever interested in, was that? I love her too. I love her so much. And, uh, like if you're ever interested in, you know, bringing me on to your show and want a little bit of that cultural representation, that's what I try to bring, uh, a little bit of that into every game I play. So that's what I do. Uh, and as mentioned, I recently uh, helped contribute to the latest issue of Warlock for Cobalt Press. I specifically did the Raven Folk and tried to introduce a little bit more of, you know, uh, you know, nuance to their character and 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 based it off of Indian heritage and what ravens mean in my culture. And so, you know, if any of that interests you, you can go check that out over there. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that's that's uh, where I'm at. Right I'm going to put links to all of this stuff. I've been diligently <laughs> taking notes. Um, uh, Y'all are awesome. Uh, really, like, I'm so glad that we finally got together to do this episode. Yeah. Um, let's do it again. Hell yeah. Let's do it again. Yeah, I've been hyped for doing, delving into some, like, costume design analysis for so long. I'm yeah, so we're, well, I mean, this is going to be this, one, like... of, uh, one of many costumes, because I would like to do one on, like, arms and armor. Mm -hmm. um, and Hi. I've got... I've got, I've got <laughs> <laughs> I um I've got some I've got some uh connections that I would like to uh from my museum industry 
days Ooh. that I would like to leverage. Okay. Um, so, cool. so it's a, it's a work in progress. Actually, like COVID, the pandemic really fucked up my plans. So we're going to do a video series where we were going to literally spend time at museums looking at weapons with curators. Oh um, nice. So ah, it, it'll happen. We'll figure it, it out. But, but that happen. said, I just yeah. thank you folks for, for joining me. I, I'm glad that we were able to do this remote recording that we can later rebroadcast because it enables us to include people in different time zones mm-hmm. um, so that we can, we can make sure that all as many perspectives, voices, and experiences are being shared on Asians Represent. Um, so again, Iza, Sophia, KP, thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much thank for, for, for joining you, me. Yeah. Y'all are yeah. awesome. All You're right. You're awesome. awesome. You're awesome. Take it. Yo, Keanu, yeah. he's the best. Oh, I will say this one last thing. Matrix, the new Matrix trailer. So, so Priyanka, <laughs> Priyanka Chopra's in it. And she like, is. Like what? And, and, and she's supposed to be, I think she's supposed to be the grown up version of Sati from the, uh, the, like, the little kid. Uh, yeah. And, uh, uh, okay. I have, I have mixed feelings about the Matrix for obvious the reasons. Original series? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like yeah, there are there are there are mixed things. For for me, it was always like yo, I've always like Keanu Reeves, like Canadian, mm-hmm. Asian heritage, <laughs> mm-hmm. crushing it. Like for, for yeah, Matrix is there are certainly things wrong with it. Absolutely. Um, but it's cool to see these opportunities, and it's cool to see yeah. these actors getting. Yeah, yeah, it, it's know, cool that at the very least it looks as though the cast is a little more diverse this time yeah. around. I don't know if that yeah. will fix the Orientalism problems, but it's good. At yeah. least there's that. <laughs> yeah, I'm very. It, it, it's that it's that sort of post-apocalyptic cyberpunk that mm-hmm. I don't think we've talked about a lot of this show, but maybe we will mm, when, yeah. when the movie cyberpunk comes out. Cyberpunk episode would be. Yeah. Another yeah. one. Yeah. Another, Another one. Everyone here, yeah, everyone here loves Keanu Reeves because they, someone just like decided, oh, his mom's Lebanese. Yeah, he was so born in Lebanon. He was born in Lebanon, but he's his mom's not Lebanese. Yeah, he was. He, <laughs> so, yeah. But, but so everybody's like, just kind of adopted Keanu Reeves. It's like, yeah, yes. he's like the most unproblematic person in Hollywood. His grandma's <laughs> like Chinese, like part Chinese or something, and like he he lived in Toronto. That's where I live, and like he went yeah. to many of the schools in Toronto as he was moving around schools, like. You, you also you, you mentioned the um, retriever of actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned that movie. Um, always be my maybe earlier. Is that the one he where was he has that, that amazing two scenes where he utterly yeah. steals the movie? <laughs> okay, two scenes. So, so this episode, this episode comes out after the Ennies winners are announced. So I don't know if we actually won. Um, but when they ask, you have to submit like a, a song that will play if you if you win, and every year. I submit. I punched Keanu Reeves from, <laughs> from Always Be My Maybe. And this year, it, it, Gen Con is happening in person, so the Ennies will happen in person. And if Asians Represent wins Best Podcast, the song, rapped by Randall Park called "I Punched Keanu Reeves in the Face," will play for everyone. That um, hilarious. So that's what I, I made that. I picked that last year, and like they didn't do the music because it was all remote. But maybe this year, if we win, uh, who knows? Again, this episode comes out af- after the Ennie, so we'll see. But yeah, I love Keanu Reeves. Steve, yeah, that was uh, that was something. Uh, that was one of my favorite episodes, to that- be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was um, 
yeah, that definitely one of my favorite episodes. Um, I I loved how we started. You started that episode and basically went right into it. You're like, okay, let's talk about belly dancers. And like everyone was like, yeah, let's talk about it. And I'm like, <laughs> well, okay, we're not pulling any punches here. And I learned a heck of a lot. And even being part of Asians Represent and like mm-hmm. having these conversations in some respect, even hearing other voices talk about it helps me to form up my own internal structure when it comes to how I'm going to talk about it moving forward. So all these voices, um, I think they were just so, so valuable to me as just like a person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, um, I know I, I, the entire time I was listening to this and even though you, you could see it on my face, I was just like, what? This is all so new to me. Like yep. it was like experiencing it all over again. And I was, you know, taking notes um, and I just posted all the notes on our Patreon. Uh, and that's actually a, a good thing to segue into um, because we um, we owe a lot to our our patrons for, you know, for this show, being able to do this. Um, yeah, that was just so good. And, you know, related to that last bit, I kind of kept that in there because I wasn't actually, I put this all together before the Ennies. Um, and as you informed me, Steve, they did not play the I Punched Keanu Reeves song. Um, Which I mean, their loss. Truly, mm-hmm. it's their, their loss. loss. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say, like, you know, I'm so happy that we're doing these pre-recorded episodes. Um, simply because, like, you know, we do this live. Like, you and I are, are live on a Friday evening in Toronto. But the the problem is that, you know, at this time slot, we couldn't have all of these amazing people on. Like, yeah, so it's really tough. It's really tough. Um, Peter in the chat's like, if you're really here, hold up three fingers. Huh. Right there. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, I'm so happy that we we're able to do this. I'm so happy that we're able to pre record because this means that we'll be able to do collaborations with folks in East Asia. We'll be able to do more collaborations with folks. Like I, Safi and I are already talking about doing another episode um, on this really interesting survey that she did um, and on like the community and their preferences in gaming. So I'm really, really excited for that. Yeah. Um, in addition, even in North America where we live, yeah. a lot of people cannot make a 7 p.m. Eastern time slot work, right? Like some people have like some weird working hours. So pre-recording yeah. all this kind of stuff, I just think is a great vector for us to have oh, more Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because before, you know, when we've had folks like Pam and Mahar on the show, they had to get up at like 6 a.m., to, to be on the show when we were streaming and when we were doing the, you know, the Oriental Adventures read. Um, and, and this just makes it so much easier to do. Um, like the entire time that everyone was talking, I was experiencing everything again and like taking notes and tidying up all the notes that I took. Um, that said, folks, you know, if you are looking for, you know, extended audio of this episode, something that's a little bit cleaner, you can uh, you can listen to all of that on Patreon. And we have some amazing, you know, Patreon supporters to thank for that. And, you know, for what we have coming in the future, um, we have Bubble Tea Book Club because of our patrons and 
fingers crossed in um in, in the future we'll have dungeons and asians and i've been thinking about it you know this entire time i i don't say fingers crossed because i know we will have it um because our community is awesome but i was thinking about dungeons and asians and like you know we're going to pre-record that too again because we are already talking about um a cast that are all across like um like North America, and then we're going to expand it. But if we could pre-record, you know what I was thinking? I was like, oh, it'd be really awesome if we could do this with the pre-recorded Dungeons and, and Asians episode. And then, you know, the cast and the GM can be in the chat answering questions live about it. It's like being able to talk to the GM while they're actually gaming. Um, so I want to really, I want to try that out. Um, but that said, we have some folks to thank. We have all of our, our guardians of the, uh, of the Sky Court here. We've got our uh, disciples of the Sky Court. I'm so sorry. It's really late. Um, <laughs> because this stream has been going on for almost three hours. Again, probably our, our longest podcast episode. Um, we have you know our, our, our guardians of the realm. Again, Brooke, right? Pixel Grotto, Jeremy, and Daisy May. Thank you so much for your support. Y'all are awesome. And then, of course, our most honorable patrons, Ryan the Wizard Hall, Metal Weave Games. Go check out that. Um, that Albert Plush, Baby Bestiary, and again, another game that's coming out, the Hyperlight Drifter RPG um, that yours truly consulted on. Um, I'm super excited. Andreas is an awesome member of our community. And speaking of another publisher, Valorous Games who's just on the latest episode of Bubble Tea Book Club and will be on our Caratour stream tomorrow where we'll be talking about, that's right, Kung Fu action. Oh, sounds weird when we're talking about it in the context of D&D. But Kung Fu action, martial arts masters, and just some of the, the strangest things in Caratour. We're restructuring how we're doing the Caratour stream so we can be more concise and move on. There's some other things because Emma's like, when are we going to talk about Wang Kozakura? Yeah. And we're probably going to have to talk about L5R 5E in the future. So, Well, if, if you need someone who's an expert in L5R. Uh, you've read the entire core book. <laughs> yep. Um, and I got a lot to say about it. But also, I'm actually really excited for this, this Kung Fu martial arts episode yeah. because someone who, like myself... I grew up being a very athletic person, but mm. uh, this actually happened in the Vietnamese episode where I was like, I actually didn't feel comfortable studying martial arts because it felt appropriative to me because of my diaspora and like my like trauma of racism. Mm. So really I'm so interested in just to, to hear it. And I, I bet a lot of our listeners and whatnot, um, anyone there who's Asian or multi-Asian, uh, multi-ethnic Asian, um, they might also feel that tension and also i'm here for you <laughs> well i'm glad you mentioned that steve because after that recording that we did is was like hey can we do an episode on sort of the, the mixed asian experience and we are planning one and we're recording it next sunday um so i am super excited we have some incredible folk on that um it's going to be great uh and then of course we have some other patrons to thank the most honorable dungeon glitch slash Matt, and the most honorable times two uh, epic impulse. Uh, Marla is ready to thank all of you. She was, she's been waiting over here and has been very, very upset. Um, 
unsung oh. hero of this stream is Sarah, who gets mm. Marla every single time. Marla hates this every time. Marla, Marla is Marla, never happy about this. Can you just say this. hi to everyone, please? Want to say hi to everyone, Marla? She's confused. She doesn't like Marla, this. Marla, you want to say hi? Mwah. We love you, Marla. And Marla loves stream. Right, Marla? Mm-mm. Oh, we got a little something. <laughs> got a little something. Okay. Bye, Marla. Um, yeah, Marla loves loves all of you, especially the most honorable of patrons. Uh, if you want to support us, you can head to patreon.com slash aznsrepresent. Um, we got show notes there. We have new stuff coming out. And uh, a new episode where Agatha and I are going to be talking about what we want to do for our Wuxia game. That's that's coming out. So super excited. Uh, thank you so much, everyone. Uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>